Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for the Group of Five and the FCS. Happy New Year. Hope you all had some wonderful time to spend with your friends and family over the holiday season. Obviously, we had Christmas in there, too. And uh, we're going to get into some stuff that happened on Christmas Eve. So hope you're ready to take a little trip back to, back down memory lane for the Hawaii Bowl. But we'll get to that in a second. Jill Londrigan and Eric Henry and apparently my dog as well in the background parking at the mailman uh ready to uh dive into some conference usa news and notes including some highlights from early signing day so eric how are you feeling about everything but first off man just want to echo those sentiments because i don't believe we've talked to the fine people since the holidays so uh hope your holidays went well and happy new year definitely been an eventful time across the conference usa landscape that we're going to get into not necessarily just on the field but of course with the transition to the new programs uh who are you know the programs will be entering conference usa which we'll, we'll have some news about that as far as a a pretty special episode. We're gonna gonna do a crossover episode with our friends from the American Podcast. Shout out to Dan Morrison, Emily Van Buskirk. We will do a crossover episode with them to send off our good friends from Conference USA. And of course, uh, stay tuned because we will be as we always do our off season series. So we'll be reaching out to the new programs across Conference USA and getting up to speed with those programs with insiders, coaches, ads, whoever we can snag. We will have on the podcast. But without further ado, yeah, man, let's uh, let's jump into bowl season. Or jump into to finishing off bowl season, I should say. I'll spare you the boys to men impression and simply say it's just so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. So let's dive into the Hawaii Bowl. Uh, Middle Tennessee beating San Diego State 25 to 23. Really exciting contest in this one. And the most exciting thing about it, I think, was the performance of Jordan Ferguson. Uh, player of the game there, five tackles, a TFL, pass deflection, and an interception on defense. One of five turnovers that the MTSU Blue Raiders had in this game. And Eric, I don't know how much of this game you watched, but um, Jordan also playing offense in jumbo packages there, especially in, you know, kind of those goal line situations and ended up catching an eight yard touchdown pass from Chase Cunningham in the second quarter. And um, that defense just really held strong throughout this game. You know, I think the net or the yeah, the net rushing yards for San Diego State was just 55 yards on 32 attempts. Um And just a fantastic day by that group. MTSU's offense struggled a little bit, did get uh, Chase Cunningham sacked seven times throughout the night. Uh, Overall, I think San Diego State had 11 tackles for loss on uh, MTSU. But, you know, they hung in there when they needed to. No touchdowns in the second half for either team. But really the story of this game was defense. DeCorian Patterson, he finishes the season with seven interceptions, and that's tied for the lead in all of FBS. So can't really end things on a much higher note if you're Rick Stockstill's squad. 
No doubt about it, Joe. You said the story of this game was Jay Ferg. Obviously, your favorite player, right, Joe? Why, why is Jay Ferg your favorite player? My favorite martial artist in all of COSA. <laughs> Long-time listeners of this podcast will remember the inside joke there. But no, um, Jordan Ferguson, obviously one of the top players in all of Conference USA, regardless of position, offense, defense, or otherwise. You know, he had the uh, touchdown reception, which you asked me how much this game did I watch. I watched pretty much the majority of it because I remember there was a there was a Thursday night game, Thursday night NFL game going at the same time. And I tweeted out, I was like, man, you know, listen, and I can't remember who was playing, Joe, but I was like, whoever, te- which of the teams were playing, I said, y'all have fun with that. But the, the Hawaii Bulls were way more entertaining. And of course, Mike mm-hmm. McIntyre for the brand <laughs> like that tweet, I believe Jordan Stepp, the uh, CUSA um Communication, uh, <laughs> director of communications, like that tweet as well. So had a little bit of fun there. But no, I mean, it definitely was an entertaining ball game. Um, San Diego State jumped out to an early lead. Jalen Maiden, uh, you know, was able to make some things happen. But from there, it was just – and I don't know how you felt, Joe. When San Diego State got up 14-0, I, I was kind of curious to see how the Blue Raiders would be able to respond because we've talked about it so much that when they are playing their best football – Yes, I mean, they are having success through the air, and obviously Chase Cunningham did have success through the air, but they're not necessarily, you you know, it's not like you want them slinging it 60 times a game. You want them to have some semblance of balance, which if you look at the rushing numbers, they definitely didn't get that, but they got timely play from their defense. Studs like Jalen Lane, who, as we now saw, uh, who has entered the transfer portal as of yesterday uh, in his would uh, maybe his final contest as a Blue Raider. Of course, he could leave the portal, but as of now, his final contest as a Blue Raider, 10 grabs for 111 yards and a touchdown. And yeah, man, I mean, Jordan Ferguson, just what a way to go out. You know, I, I remember even having uh, a couple plays on the defensive side of the ball, you know, a couple pressures as well. Uh, just, you know, definitely going to be sad to see that guy leave Conference USA, but all in all, a really impressive win. And listen, eight and five, Joe, that is, that beat my, expectations definitely exceeded my expectations for Rick Stockstill's club. But as we've talked about, I mean, I know I've talked about on this podcast, other radio hits that I've done. You can't, Rick Stockstill's like that coach that, you know, maybe there are reasons that you want to critique him because you feel you're not hitting. I I don't know, you know, the ceiling of other G5 programs, but for middle Tennessee state, he's just the right man for that job. And, you know, I might be alone on this Island, but I'm I'm really happy for Coach Stock and get that eight win year, uh, the most they've had in a while there in Murfreesboro, and just show you know back to back bowl uh, season for the Blue Raiders show that you know they they do have a steady uh, track record of success the majority of the time in, in his tenure in uh, in Middle Tennessee. You know, I think a like the worst thing you can do for a Rick Stockstill team is just completely count them out, right? Because I think like you and I both ended up picking San Diego state when we were doing picks for the bowl season. But um, just as soon as you think like this team's got nothing left in the tank, they pull something out like this. But what was particularly interesting to me was like, I think we said like if they were going to have a chance, they needed chase Cunningham to be, you know, the, the offensive reason that, uh, that it comes that, uh, that they win. And ultimately he really was 26 of 43, through the air for 236 yards, two touchdowns, did have one interception. Uh, but really, I mean, like the passing game was more or less all they had. Like they finished the night with a net rushing yardage of negative 66. So like the running game was not doing them any favors. And thankfully, neither was San Diego State's. So 
yeah, once you get to these kind of games where ultimately like you want to end the season on a high note, this is the thing that a your seniors are going to remember and more than likely your fans are going to remember probably because it's you're playing, you know, a, another well-known G5 program. Um, just getting a win like this is a huge step in the right direction as they uh, they head into the new Conference USA here. Absolutely, Joe. And I mean, to be fair, you know, with that rushing attack, I mean, majority of that that negative yardage, um, you know, came from Chase Cunningham sacks. But that aside, I just want to spin it forward and ask you here, right? I mean, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the new programs in Conference USA. But given what you've seen from Middle Tennessee over the past few years, you got to think, I guess we've seen so much chatter about Liberty entering their league and, and this being their league for the taking. Sure. Doesn't this at least feel like it gives Middle Tennessee some positive momentum in the right direction to be like, hey, remember us too? I mean, yeah, the issue with them has always been consistency, right? So it's just going to be a matter of can they keep it going in the new year? I mean, we we talked about it a couple minutes ago where uh, Stockstill's teams get it done when they absolutely need to and no one thinks that they can get it done. But <laughs> when they go up against these tougher teams and they start, you know, having a little confidence. That's ultimately when they seem to start kind of making mistakes, at least in the last couple of years. But to your point about conference USA next year, uh, you know, Liberty, I think are going to be good once again under Jamie Chadwell in that new system there. Um, and we can't discount Western Kentucky. We can't discount middle Tennessee. It's, it's going to be a closer league than I think a lot of people, including myself, uh, probably gave it credit for a couple months ago. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those are all very fair points on your end, especially the point you made, Joe, about the consistency, because it, it seems and may, you know, who knows if, if that's just dumb prognosticators like us, but it seems that when Middle Tennessee State, you least expect something out of them, they rise up. And then when you put the expectations, those are the years they kind of have those, you know, quote unquote, mediocre years, but all things considered, yeah, great way to end the year. Definitely be looking forward to see how Rick Stocks, those club can build on that in recruiting. And, you know, they're going to lose some guys in the portal as all G5 teams have. So we're looking to see how how they uh, can replace guys like Jalen Lane and others. And we'll talk more about recruiting in the portal in a little bit. But for now, uh, let's talk about the Quick Lane Bowl. Future CUSA member, New Mexico State, uh, beating Bowling Green State 24-19 to in this one. And I think the highlight of this one, at least for me, was the performance of Diego Pavia. And earlier in the year, right, I definitely kind of said i think my exact words were diego pavia is is not the guy and he was he was the guy he was him in this game at least for the level of of competition that he faced in this one and they get the seven wins uh here for a winning season in jerry kills uh i believe his first season right at yeah, new mexico yeah, state yeah. so seven wins tied for their highest win total since 1965 and uh, pavia 17 of 29 through the air for 167 yards two touchdowns and interception and uh, he only had 65 yards on 12 carries but it was when he had some of those runs like right at the end when they just needed to uh, get a few more first downs in order to run the clock out and secure that win against a uh, bowling green state defense that you know has a couple of guys on there that you know are NFL ready, in my opinion. So uh, really good on Pavia to get that done. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit. He's going to have some more competition for the job next year. So we'll see if he's uh, he's able to keep it. But, you know, for now, played a huge role in one of the, the biggest wins in, in New Mexico State history, at least in the modern era. 
Joe, you talked about Diego Pavia and, you know, kind of his, well, call his evolution as a quarterback. I had a chance to cover New Mexico State when FIU went out there early in the year. And he's a kid who, it, it, it was a very unique situation, right? Because they have Gavin Frakes, who's the more highly touted. Um, I want to see he's a three-star recruit, if memory serves me correct, um, a younger quarterback. And Diego Pavia actually didn't start the game for FI, for, for New Mexico State. Gavin Frakes did, but really struggled in that contest. Pavia came in, went something like, you know, 10 of 16 or something like that. Wasn't really pushing the ball downfield, but you saw that he gave the offense a spark. And my mind was always like, you know what? I'm, I'll be interested, interested to see how their quarterback situation plays out the rest of the year. And then lo and behold, you, you come back at the end of the year and, you know, he's getting the start in the bowl game. He goes 17 of 29 for a buck 67, two scores. And you definitely did see his ability to use his legs, something that Gavin Frakes does not offer. Uh, Star Thomas, a uh, big back, 6'2", 230, nine carries for 48 yards and a mile. Monte Watkins, nine carries for 76 yards. So really that run game spurring the way for New Mexico State victory. Now something we'll have to keep an eye on, Joe, as, as I feel like it's going to be rep- repetition. New Mexico State did have a couple of players, two linebackers, enter the portal. I believe one has already committed in the MAC. I, I'm going to have to come back and find their names in a minute. But definitely want to see you know how Jerry Kill is able to build on these seven wins, as you mentioned. Arguably the biggest win in program history. Uh, it, it's... I want to kind of paint the scene for you a little bit, Joe, because you talk about Jerry Kill being in his first year, taking over for Doug Martin, who I'll let you fact check while I'm I'm talking here. See if I can remember this off off the top of my head. I believe Doug Martin went twenty four and seventy two in eight or nine years. I, I'm I'm just trying to remember based on the game preview I wrote, so you can fact check me. But either way, I, I want to say you know they he lost three times as many games as he won, so that could kind of just put into perspective how, you know, much of a struggle it's been out there in, in Las Cruces for the Aggies. Uh, you're out there at the stadium and there's just not a lot of history at all. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they, they have like one hall of famer who I think played in the fifties in, in the NFL. And, and outside of that, you know, there's just no real football history and, and seemingly, especially by the crowd that was out there, Joe. And I think this will be interested for interesting for the conference USA audience, a really proud football like community out there, you know, anyone who's not familiar with Las Cruces, it's right about 40 minutes outside of El Paso. Um, so it's right there on that Texas border. You know, it, it's a, it's, it, it, I don't want to say it's football country, but they have, you know, a, a nice strong fan base. So I think um, Jerry kill coming in there in year one and kind of injecting some success could really be a, a building block for this kind of make some things happen there, especially after Joe. I mean, we've seen it like, for example, with UTEP, right? We saw how, how crucial it was. Um, sorry. Yeah. UTEP, UTEP. I'm, I'm having nine, nine thoughts here. We saw how crucial it was for them to get a sellout to open the year against North Texas right now. Unfortunately, they lost that game. And as a result, their attendance kind of died off a bit, even though they you know finished the year at five and seven, but, the point I'm making is for, you know, Dana Dimmel and his rebuild, when you take over a program that's had a lack of success for so long, it, it takes a lot to kind of just jolt that fan base, right? So I think especially getting that instantaneous success in year one um, would be it's just a, a really huge thing for for the Aggies out there. And as they make a transition to Conference USA, they're able to build off of that. But as I mentioned with Doug Martin, I think, it, again, his record was something like 25 and 72 or 24 and 72. So for them to get a seventh win and a seventh win and a bowl win 
Um, just really huge for that uh, that fan base. 25 and 74. You were very close on oh, Martin's yeah. Uh, yeah. record. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, man, like Pavia, his legend kind of continues to grow within the state of New Mexico. He's an Albuquerque native, and he actually, people forget he won a JUCO uh, title with New Mexico Military Institute a couple of years ago. And he was 11 and one as a uh, high school starter as well. And that's uh, from, you know, Chris Vanini's tweet. I'll give credit there. But um, yeah, so this, he, this is going to be this is going to be unfair what I'm going to do to you because I, I'm asking you to. This is a very deep Conference USA poll. Okay. Uh, New Mexico Military Institute. I'm going to come on. Make me proud. Who did uh, Diego Pavia take over for his quarterback there? Oh, man. New Mexico Military Institute from Conference USA. Was it Hardison? You there you go. Yep. Hey, okay. Got one. Um, yeah, so to your point, New Mexico football on the up and up. And uh, you know, we'll we'll get to that uh right now, actually. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> let's let's stay in Albuquerque, Diego Pavia's hometown, and uh it is also the new home of former UAB head coach Bryant Vincent. He is off to New Mexico to be their offensive coordinator, and uh he joins a uh, a team that was the worst offense in the Mountain West last year. But uh this is a, a much needed hire for Danny Gonzalez. And um, you know, in, in a situation where you know Bryant Vincent kind of got the short end of the stick, um, in my opinion, anyway. I know they didn't really live up to what they wanted to do this year, but um it seems like a good situation for him in terms of you know getting back to being considered for head coach opportunities in the future. And clearly as, as someone who has run, you know, really good offenses at UAB for years now, this, you know, this is a needed hire for New Mexico. They really need to start kind of energizing that program under Danny Gonzalez there. Yeah, definitely going to be, you know, really intrigued to see how things play, uh, you know, things fair, how things play out with that hire. As you mentioned, Danny Gonzalez, seven and 20, in his three seasons, uh, or excuse me, seven and twenty-four in his three seasons at New Mexico. So you know what Brian Vincent is bringing, right? You know he's someone who's going to look to push the ball downfield, and you know it's his offenses are really benefited by a strong run game. So we're going to see, uh, you know, kind of how Danny Gonzalez and Brian Vincent can work together to bring success out there in the in the desert, you know, in the Southwest area, Southwest region. But uh, as you mentioned, Joe, really an opportunity for him to kind of, you know, get his stamp on things and, and probably get one step closer to getting that full time head coaching gig in FBS that he's looking for. There was one interesting piece of this puzzle here when uh, Vincent was introduced. Apparently, this is uh, from an article on 1819news.com. Uh, Steve Irvine, who covers UAB as well as some other Alabama sports when he was uh, referencing his uh, introduction to New Mexico AD Eddie Nunez, uh, the quote was, without a doubt, he is first class, Vincent said. He knows what he's doing. He has a clear vision. It was nice to talk to an athletic director that knew football and understood people. And, you know, I think there's a lot of speculation about kind of the relationship between, you know, the old coaching administration at UAB football and the relationship that they have with, you know, Mark Ingram and, and, uh, and Ray Watts at UAB. But I don't know. Some people are kind of reading a little bit too into that. I think, I, I don't think it's really meant to be a shot at, uh, at those folks. I don't think Brian Vincent's that kind of guy, but it, it got the folks talking on Twitter a little bit. See your last point there. I think you hit the nail on the head show. We're talking about the guy who, vacated his office 10 11 days early so trent dilfer could take over right <laughs> um 
I do not think Brian Vince is that kind of guy. If memory serves me correct, Joe, Mark Ingram, I think, got to UAB in 2015. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yep. Um, so he, he should have been part of the group that brought football back. Correct. I mean, in theory, that yeah. timeline fits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, it, it is, it's interesting. You talk about the point that, you know, the fact that there has been kind of a tennis relationship, it just seems put you this way. If you wanted to make something of that quote, it didn't seem like Mark Ingram's necessarily w- would be the guy just based on, you know, kind of timing and whatnot. But as I said, I, I don't read anything into it just based on the guy that Brian Vincent has shown himself to be this year. And if there's one thing, look, you know, I, I, I think I've been a little bit, uh, I don't think I've been unfair. I think I've been very reasonable. The question has been reasonable as far as, you know, maybe some of his, Brian Vincent's offense over the, you know, his stint at UAB. But if there's one thing you, you kind of took away from him when we had a chance to see him at media days, definitely, you know, stand up honorable guy. So um, don't think he would take that shot at all. And since he's a Kentucky native, I'm still kicking myself for not getting to ask him what his bird of no choice is. I might have to make a trip to Mountain West media days next year just so I can get to ask that question. If they even send OCs, it might just be head coaches. I was going to say, I think you'll be making a trip to Albuquerque probably better than a, wherever the hell Mountain West media days. Where, where would that be? Huh. Good question. Uh, I think Vegas. I'm not oh, sure. Crap. Okay. Well, see, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna bang on the Mountain West and say it was like in Salt Lake, but not. Nah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was Vegas. But hey, you know, I enjoyed my time in Albuquerque. Their chilies was decent. <laughs> yeah. You know what, Taylor? Just edit out this conversation. Just leave the pause there. <laughs> oh man. You know, we're going to get to back to New Mexico state in a little bit when, uh, since we're talking about early signing day and some of the recruits that sign their letter of intent to play in conference USA here. But, you know, let's start with FIU. If you look at the two, four, seven rankings, Eric, they are the, uh, the top class in CUSA. Um, I mean, obviously, when you look at it now, UTSA, FAU, and Rice are still included in that, as well as the other schools that are leaving for the American. But amongst the schools that are going to be part of CUSA in 2023, that top class belongs to FIU. So, Eric, of that class, who are some of the ones that uh, really stick out to you as the uh, the key pieces there? Joe, you asked me who's the or some of the guys who stand out. You, you can't look at FIU's class and not get past the top-rated recruit per the 247 rankings, and that's Kiwan Jenkins. It's pronounced Kiwan for anyone who's out there. Uh, K-E-Y-O-N-E. So not Keon, it's Kiwan. But he's a kid who Joe has one of the most dynamic nicknames in all of South Florida lights out. He's been a five-year starter. I mean, he started, you know, cause he, he began his career at a, at a private uh, school in South Florida in which, you know, you got that eighth grade football. So he's been a five-year starter uh, at the varsity level in high school 
three-time state champion at Miami Central, one of the winningest quarterbacks in the history of the state of Florida in terms of football, and a three-star recruit. You know, again, the highest-rated recruit uh, on FIE's class per 247. Joe, it's going to be interesting because, you know, South Florida is not an area that's known for quarterbacks. I mean, you, you probably think about it all time. You got Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson, you know, a, a handful others, but uh, I guess you look at like Michael Pratt, you know, Tulane, but in terms of, you know, the all-time significance, uh, not a huge quarterback landscape. And Kiwan Jenkins does fit the mold of a South Florida quarterback. He's listed at six foot, probably closer to 5'11", a buck 85, a buck 90. Now, in talking to people around the program, Joe, they're very excited about lights out. I mean, I, I covered signing day there. Some of the coaches, you know, they were yelling in the hallways, lights out, lights out. Uh, I just think it's going to be very interesting. And again, I won't belabor it too long because, you know, it's got an entire spring and fall and whatnot to break down. But the fact that one of the, the one of the, if not the uh, most highly touted recruit for the Panthers is a quarterback, one that's a little bit of a smaller size, considering what you look at the FIU offense, uh, David Yosem was we're going to look to throw the ball a little bit. Now, granted, you know, they have a lot of, uh, of passes that, I, you know, I, I, you don't necessarily have to have a significantly strong arm to make. But when you look at the roster, Hayden Carlson, Grayson James, their offense at its best was when they were pushing the ball downfield. And even that wasn't that much this year. So definitely something to keep an, uh, an eye on. Now, just, you know, some of the other names really quick. Braden Staten, a three-star recruit signed from uh, the Nashville suburbs, Green Hill High School, Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Luby Maurice, a three-star receiver, had picked up some uh, some uh, interest from Pitt and Syracuse late in in the uh, in the signing day, the, the signing period. And last but not least, uh, keep an eye out, Joe, for a name, um, Jack Daly. FIU has a bit of a unique relationship with Bryant University. Obviously, they played Bryant to open this year, FCS Bryant. Uh, a couple former FIU GAs are now on Bryant's staff, and a couple people who were on um, Bryant's staff are with FIU working in different departments. So a lot of familiarity, and I think because of that, they ended up signing two players, Jack Daly and uh, JT Anderson, a cornerback from Bryant, who started. Daly is a mountain of a man, 6'5", 335 made a ton of plays with a three-year starter at Bryant. So those are names I'd keep an eye on there for FIU. But primarily, the quarterback, Kevon Jenkins, is the uh, the big name. I don't want to spend too much more time on, on FIU because we have other teams to get to. But what was interesting to me about this class was uh, we know that Rivaldo Fairweather entered the portal, subsequently went to Auburn, and yeah. they got two really interesting names to help replace uh, some of the production that he takes with him at that tight end spot. Um, for one, you have 6'5", 230-pound uh, Christian Peterson, who comes in from Louisville. He was a transfer yeah. student, and I believe he's got three years left right? Correct. Yes. Okay. He's got three years left. And then amongst the uh, freshmen that signed as part of this class out of Colorado, you have Rowdy Beers, who's also 6'5", 222 pounds, uh, the number 16 recruit in the state of Colorado um, from Valor Christian. That's a pretty good program in Colorado. Uh, you know, Colorado doesn't produce a ton of, of amazing um football prospects, uh, at least recently, but Valor Christian's a very good high school program there. 6'5", 222 pounds, and a fantastic name to boot. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I don't think it's any coincidence when you look at the fact that they did lose Rivaldo Fairweather, and they are looking to use multiple tight ends. I mean, you look at some of the success that they had 
especially late in the year, that final game against Middle Tennessee, it came with two tight ends. So you definitely know. And even if you look at the tight ends that are on their roster, Josiah Miaman, the transfer from Iowa, big kid, 6'6", 230. So this fits the mold, whether it's uh, Braden Staten, Rowdy Bears, obviously, as you mentioned, one of the best names in uh, in college football, and Christian Pedersen, uh, 6'5", 230. So definitely going to be intrigued to see that tight end room, see how it shapes up, because they've got size for sure. All right, let's move on to another class here. And then when you go down the, you know, ranked classes in CUSA, uh, you have Louisiana Tech. They have 15 commits who are right up there with FIU. Uh, scored, they scored a uh, 121 on 247 scale. FIU had a 134. Uh, Liberty also had some interesting prospects in here as well, um, particularly uh, at quarterback, you got Reese Mooney out of Denham Springs, Louisiana, 6'1", 220. Uh, I think he'll be an interesting prospect to watch. A uh, lot of offensive linemen in there as well for uh, for Liberty, including a recruit out of Senegal, 6'5", 290 pounds, uh, Mamadou Sissoko. So obviously we're, we're talking about building you know international talent in the NCAA. So that's going to be one to watch for me as well. And uh, transfer running back from Arkansas, James Jointer. Um, he was an interesting piece of that Arkansas rushing attack that actually lost to Liberty last season under Hugh Freeze. So uh, kind of an interesting development there to see him go to the uh, the team that was probably one of their more notable losses of 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's kind of a, you know, a pretty spot on rundown about some of the things you, you kind of take a look at with the signing classes across uh, CUSA. The ones I would, to be honest with you, I was keeping my most uh, eye on outside of FIU was Jacksonville State. I really wanted to see how Jacksonville State would be able to recruit coming from FCS and now making that leap. And you see they hit one, two, three, four, I believe five players from the JUCO ranks. Earl Woods III is a name to keep an eye on out of Hueytown, Alabama, Hueytown High School, highly touted quarterback, three-star recruit there as well. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, I tried to get deep into Kennesaw State's uh, recruiting class a little bit, but that was a little harder to find. Uh, um, not necessarily the information, but I mean, obviously, you know, the recruiting at, at, a, at a lower rank, so really getting the information on the players was a little bit tough. So we'll come back to them further uh, in the offseason. Sam Houston, was another one, Joe. I kind of wanted to see where they would pull from. Definitely recruited Texas very, very hard. Some of the guys who stood out to me was uh, Quavez Humphreys, a kid from Butler Community College, Junction City, Kansas. You know, Juco kid, anyone there from Butler, you know, those kids and coming and making an immediate impact at 6'3", 220 pounds, taking a look at him as well. Um, Sam Houston, just some of the things they're looking to do. Xavier Wars, a quarterback transfer from Washington State. Uh, Quantavius Workman, another Juco kid, 6'7". 215 from East LA um, Juco College. So definitely some of the names that stood out to me because I really want to see, you know, you would expect, Joe, in my mind, those the teams that already have been on an FBS level to have a a better infrastructure. And actually another one really quick, uh, Joe, I want to mention this name as well for Sam Houston, Nate White. Uh, Nate White, former FIU Panther. So he's someone who who was uh, at the at the FBS level as well. But um, to my point, you'd expect that the, the former FBS pro or the, the current FBS programs have a better infrastructure. I was curious to see how the schools that were rising up to uh, from FCS to FBS, how would they be able to recruit? And seemingly they've, they've all done fairly well, at least um, comparably to other CUSA schools. Yeah, that's intriguing that some of these schools um... – are not going to have that same kind of infrastructure coming up from that FCS level. I mean, when you look at at Sam Houston State, 14 commits so far 
not a bad class for them. And of course, the fact that they have a lot of Texas kids is no surprise, but um, hopefully some of these kids that are coming out of some of the uh, the more the, the parts of Texas closer to Huntsville and closer to Sam Houston State, um, that should be interesting. And of course, you got a transfer quarterback coming in, Xavier Ward, out of Washington State. That should be an interesting piece to the puzzle as well. They're, they're a team that uh, can throw the ball quite a bit when they want to. Looking at a couple other key pieces in this signing class um, with Western Kentucky, only five signees here, but um, you do have a really good offensive tackle coming in from Dodge City Community College in Kansas, Darrell Johnson Jr. He was a three-star. Uh, I believe he was the number 12 offensive tackle amongst JUCOs. So add some uh, add some depth to an offensive line where they're hurting a little bit there in terms of losing guys to the portal and graduation, et cetera. And then when you look at the receivers coming in, they have two. They have Jarvis Hayes out of Waycross, Georgia, and then Karan Hayward out of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, six foot, four and a half, 199 pounds. I love that length. I love that length when you talk about, you know, the kind of offense that they run and when, and especially when you're talking about the kind of, uh, the kind of deep shots that we saw Austin Reed take a lot, uh, this past year with, um, Haywood Davis. Yeah. Some of those deep throws that he hit them on, I think he's going to provide a, a really similar, um, He's going to provide really similar downfield opportunities given, you know, his length and his height. So that's kind of interesting to watch. And, I think the most interesting part for me here in Western Kentucky's recruiting class is Oliver Lundberg Coleman. He's a running back out of Rig Academy in Sweden. And I don't know what it is. I, I'm just fascinated by international prospects when it comes to NCAA football. So I want to see what his journey, I, I want to know more. I want to know more. He's the number two recruit in Sweden, according to Western Kentucky. So that's something, or according to 247 Sports, right, rather. So that's uh, that's going to be something to watch for me in terms of how he can, you know, contribute in a couple of years. He's only 5'9", so I kind of doubt he's going to be an immediate contributor. But like I said, anytime you have somebody who's an international player, it's intriguing. And then New Mexico State, 25 signees, huge class for them. The one that stands out for me, another transfer, Eli Stowers, former four-star quarterback from Texas A&M. So like I said, he's going to give some uh, some competition to Diego Pavia and Gavin Frakes in the quarterback competition next year. And just the amount of guys who are excited about Jerry Kill and the uh, trajectory he's got this program on, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I know those guys are listed on two four seven. I'm going to send you the list that Western submitted to CUSA because, like, yeah, okay. Um, right, I, I take that back. Um, Hayward is, but he's listed as a linebacker. Um, so I mean, that could be a mistake. Oh, that's um, weird. Yeah, I mean, any closing thoughts on this recruiting class here? Yeah, Joe, overall, I mean, I think it's going to be super interesting, again, just to kind of see uh, how some of the schools that are coming up from the FCS, how they're able to recruit with Western Kentucky in particular. I'm not concerned about the fact that they only signed five because, you know, with Tyson Helton, uh, he's come on this show and talk about his recruiting philosophy in terms of the portal. You know, he's going to be able to, you know, really dig and find some kids from the FCS. And also, Joe, the fact that we've got these windows now, you know, they're going to be kids who maybe entered that first round after the season who they may not, you know, they may try to go back to their, their, their current school. Then you can have others who maybe lose position battles uh, heading into spring or even out of spring. 
and enter the portal as well. So not too concerned with that number for Western Kentucky because I'll, I'll be more interested to see where they land um, at, at National Signing Day because I, I would expect them to have you know at least 25 kids and more than sure at least a half dozen or, or probably more than that, probably closer to a dozen, um, would be you know transfer portal kids as well. You know, I guess real quick, since we have a little extra time, um, we're not going to get into the recruiting classes of the teams that are leaving for the American in 2023, but JT Daniels headed to Rice after uh, a fascinating career at, at West Virginia and USC. What do you make of that? That one was interesting. I mean, I actually went on radio. Shout out to the folks in Russell, Louisiana, Joe, that you have made that radio spot as well. It is a shared underdog dynasty radio spot. It is not just my radio spot, but talked about the fact that JT Daniels landed at Rice and the fact that for the Owls, I mean, how many times have I came on this podcast and talked about the main thing that's hamstrung them is quarterback, you know, and I've been a little critical of Mike Bloomgren being a former offensive coordinator. The fact that in this transfer portal era, he has not been able to really get that position locked down. Now, of course, no team, I mean, maybe in all college football has been besieged by injuries at that position over the past four or five years, like the owls have. But with that being said, the only real guy in my mind who's shown enough promise has been Mike Collins. I mean, I guess you could say TJ McMahon a little a little bit, but Mike Collins was the guy who showed the most promise out of the portal. And of course he chose to conclude his playing career. It looked like due to concussions, I believe. So if they can get a semblance, a sliver of the potential that JT Daniels had coming out of high school, that had, they had a goal mine, undoubtedly. I really want to see what they're able to do with him. And if he can stay healthy, like you said, Rice uh, quarterbacks have just been snake bitten the last couple of years with injuries. So if he can stay healthy, that might be something. Uh, like you said, it could be a gold mine. It could be a gold mine for sure. Um, oh, you want to talk? Oh, oh, and one more bit of uh, Conference USA news that we haven't gotten to. Uh, speaking of teams that are headed to the American, Charlotte and Biff Poggy have added uh, several additions to their coaching staff. Eric, what do you make of those? Yeah, you know, as of course, we will bid farewell to the 49ers really with this podcast. But nevertheless, really interesting, Joe, to see the staff that Biff Poggy has put together, because if you look at recruiting, I think that's the thing that we thought Biff was going to be able to do immediately. Right. Bring in some kids at Charlotte who can play um, some, you know, kind of highly touted names, someone who, who had such a storied history as a high school coach. And he's definitely leaned into his Baltimore route signing a couple four star kids. So he's getting the players there. But you take a look, uh, you know, they bring Greg Froelich from the 49er, excuse uh, me, Greg Froelich as 49ers special teams coordinator running backs coach, but he was a guy who was an, a, an analyst at Michigan. So you, you would expect him to really lean into those Michigan ties. Of course, Biff Poggy was an analyst at Michigan as well. So you take a look at him, take a look at Greer Martini coming in as the linebackers coach, you know, someone else who uh, kind of has those ties was uh, a former linebacker at Notre Dame. Um, you know, he's someone who came recommended by Brian Kelly, you know, kind of have some expe experience there at LSU and Vandy. So that's one to keep an eye on as well. I mean, he's really filled out, Joe, a, a fair amount of, of his staff. So that, in my mind, was really interested. I was really interested to see because with Biff not being a, a veteran coach, what do they always say, right? You know, is he going to be someone who can surround himself with veteran coaches um, who can really kind of help in that regard. But clearly Biff has an idea of the way he wants to, uh, or coach Poggy, I should say, you know, I, I don't know. I'm like that to call him Biff, but uh, he, he has, he has a, a, um, a, a philosophy. He wants to go after here. You take a look at 
um, uh, here, the the Kyle Devon, the the associate head coach and offensive line coach, someone who played in the NFL for a while, you know, was a run game coordinator, uh, had some stops other places, you know, at Colorado, was at Michigan as well. So definitely interested to see how he's leaning into his ties, but his he doesn't also, also not necessarily hiring that, you know, um, veteran OC, veteran DC, and then filling in the, the rest of position coaches as, as you see it, right? He's leaning to his ties and I guess hiring kind of dynamic guys that you think at, at those um, those position coaches. So be really interested to see how that shakes out. I'm keeping an eye on that in the American because, again, I think that was the thing I was most interested in as a first-time head coach. Would he go the route of bringing in a veteran OC, veteran DC, veteran special teams coach? But not the case. I mean, he's leaning into guys he knows and has relationships with, and it should be interesting to watch. Yeah, you know, I think it's such a dramatic change in leadership there that I'm very curious to see what happens there. And speaking of changes in leadership, um, Pete Ross Amondo just got a job in the FCS, I believe, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember where right now, but I... I... Uh, Let's just check Twitter, shall we? Uh, Lamar University. Good for Ross Amondo. Lamar, yeah, yeah. There's, There's something so... (laughs) just that makes me kind of just like tilt my head and and laugh at the fact that uh, a man from New York city is a head football coach at a university in in Beaumont, Texas of all places. That is true. I mean, he's from, like you said, from Staten Island, right. And Mm -hmm. he's been, he was a Northeastern guy. He played at Boston. Um, Pretty sure he coached. I want to say he coached at new Haven. Yeah. Yeah. It was new Haven. Cause I think that's where, um, I remember him being a former head coach prior when, of course, when he took the, the interim role at Charlotte. So yeah, definitely going to be interesting. I mean, he's made his way down South, you know, was at Vandy for a little bit in Charlotte. So definitely going to be interesting. But as you mentioned, <laughs> going from New York city to Beaumont, Texas, uh, I have never been to Beaumont, Texas, but I believe that is outside of Houston. So definitely going to be a, a unique uh, change. If, if pace salsa commercials are to be believed, there could be some uh, cultural kerfuffles, but we'll see. Deep pull, Joe. Deep pull. <laughs> That's all I got. I have wrestling references, very specific music references, and salsa commercials, apparently. Well, just really quick, since you mentioned the wrestling, yeah. uh, how do we feel about you know Vince coming back? Like This is just like one big storyline, right? Because I feel like we saw this yeah. play out as kids when you know Vince McMahon on storyline battled his children for control of his company, and now he gets he's doing it in real life. It would not surprise me at all if that was actually what's happening with Vince McMahon. Like he's, I feel like there's been so many sort of instances like this. Like the line between the man and the character no longer exists, right? It's just all one thing. Joe, I I have not watched, you know, professional wrestling consistently in in many years. However, however, and it's not, I'm not shading anyone who does. I want to make that clear. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, life kind of happened, but. Anyone who watched professional wrestling kind of like through the years that we watched it, no one can be that character and not really be that character, right? No, no one can. Sure. Like that character was so bizarre that that had to lie deep inside of Vince McMahon. <laughs> That's a very solid point. You have to live it in order to yes. portray it. He's yes. <laughs> Which I guess this whole time because we're seeing he actually was living that life. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. He either is that guy or he's just a really devoted method actor. He's he's <laughs> he he's he's the new Daniel Day Lewis. I think we gotta end it on that. Is it that okay? Can't get any better than that. All right. Fair enough. All right. Thank you all so much for listening once again. I'll be back next week with more CUSA talk. And of course, as Eric said, we'll 
uh, hop on the AAC Underdog Podcast to talk about the teams jumping from CUSA to the American. And uh, we're going to try to get some more background, uh, some guests to, to give some more background info on uh, Sam Houston State, New Mexico State, and, and the other programs that are joining CUSA in 2023 uh, within the next you know few weeks or so as well. So be on the lookout for that. If you want to follow us on Twitter at Underdog Dynasty, uh, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore is me at Eric C. Henry underscore is Eric. And of course, subscribe on, uh, you know, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, let's let's get through this off season together. It's going to be a long eight months, but uh, we're going to have plenty to talk about with the draft, etc. Uh, happy 2023 and happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.